wonderful to be together, and those that are joining us online, uh, I want to welcome you as well as we spend a few moments together reflecting on a scripture lesson. I love uh, Wednesday services. Uh, I give thanks that you have uh, these, uh, and then one of the beauties you get to do is you have food afterwards, right? I mean, that's good Methodist. That's why we come together. And the last appointment that I served as a pastor uh, was in a downtown congregation, and every Wednesday we had um, a Wednesday noon service, and then we would have lunch afterwards. Um, Wednesday was a day uh, that the uh, senior pastor, being me, uh, was not to be interrupted for anything, for it was the day that I had to have my sermon completed for television, and um, I had to have my manuscript uh, for the teleprompter, and Mary Catherine Phillips, our director of communications, knows that somebody needed to proofread that for me before <laughs> it went to <laughs> the studio. Um, what I did on that day was uh, in my office, and I would spend the day doing that, but at noon, I would always go to the chapel and just be one that sat in the pew for one of the associates was responsible for that service and just to worship and to be in the presence of the Lord, and then we would receive Holy Communion, and we would go to lunch, and then I would go back to my task. At 6 o'clock in the evening, I would gather with a group of people, and we would go over what I was proclaiming, uh, uh, preparing to proclaim on Sunday morning. Uh, we had a huge television audience, and uh, it was important that I was providing my best. Um, and then when that was completed, I fine-tuned, and sent it on to my communicator. And when I came here, I said to Mary Catherine, we have to get a teleprompter, Mary Catherine. <laughs> it's so helpful, and we do. It's, it's interesting to see us do that at the conference office. Uh, Jay, thank you for your invitation. Uh, it's great to be at, at First Montgomery. It always is. This is our home church uh, while we are in this place. Nancy is a member here and enjoys this place. You have a tremendous staff, both clergy and lay. Your music is outstanding. You are so blessed. And it's great when I can come during appointment season and share in a church where all the pastors are coming back. Uh, there's been, there has been some awkward moments uh, over the last few years when I go to a place and the pastor is moving, and some people are not happy about that. Sometimes I go to places and during appointment season, and they say, do you think you might can move our pastor this year? <laughs> But it is wonderful to be with you, and as we frame our time together, um, I give thanks for this opportunity. In the book of Acts, the fourth chapter, as we begin the journey of the early church, um, and soon you're going to come back to Acts chapter 2 as you end your 50 days of Eastertide with Pentecost. It was a blessing for me to be able to preach um, last Pentecost here in this place. There was nobody in the pews then. And we have come a long way in the journey. And so it's great to see people tonight. Beginning with the very first verse of chapter 4. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, and the people they were speaking to were the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came to, came to them, much annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that in Jesus there is the resurrection of the dead. So they arrested him, them, and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. 
But many of those who heard the word believed, and they numbered about 5,000 people. Remember, on Pentecost, over 3,000 came to know the Lord, were baptized, and were taken into the church. That's the beginning of the church. And now this movement has continued. There are now over 5,000 believers. In verse 5, the next day, there were their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Ananias, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of the highest priestly family. These were important people, in their minds anyway. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who was sick and are asked how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I would leave you with one word tonight, cornerstone. Let's focus on the word cornerstone for just a moment. In 2018, I and a team of people went to Tanzania representing the Alabama-West Florida Conference as we began a partnership with our missionaries there, Eric and Liz Sword. We went there, and our purpose was to really do a fact-finding mission of what ministries that could take place there. There have been teams that have gone since. Uh, there are teams that are planned to go back when we can do that in the, in sometime, hopefully in the, not this year, but perhaps next year. While we were there on Sunday morning, I had the opportunity to preach to a new church that had begun, and they were getting ready to build a new building. There was a slab of concrete there, and uh, we were under tents, and they had, had, were cooking a goat behind us that we were going to eat for lunch, uh, and we did eat it. Um, goat is not one of my favorite foods, but we did eat. As I preached there, I noticed... Um, these t-shirts that people were having. Do you know that I believe that all the unused t-shirts in America go to Tanzania, that African country? I noticed t-shirts, you ever seen on television, you know, when someone wins a national championship, the teams are prepared to break out the t-shirts, but whoever wins, but the losing team that they had the t-shirts printed up for were national championships or won the division or whatever, well, those T-shirts are useless now because they didn't win. I think they send them all to Tanzania. It was just amazing, all the losing teams I saw have people wearing T-shirts. Someone asked us, where, where are you from in the U.S.? I said, we're from Alabama. They go, football. <laughs> so Alabama is, football is known around the world, even in Tanzania. If you're an Auburn fan... I sympathize with you. I'm a Tennessee fan. I'm very humble tonight. Um, but while we were there and after the service, we laid the cornerstone for this new church, a church that was paid for by the people of the Alabama-West Florida Conference. It stands now completed, a wonderful, beautiful place, 
But the bishop was there, and the bishop got to lay the cornerstone. As I laid that cornerstone, someone told me exactly where to put it. Because the cornerstone of a building is so important because all the other stones will come off the cornerstone to help it be square, to help it to, to be built like it's supposed to be built. In the times of Jesus, in the reference to cornerstone, the cornerstone was the most important stone because not only were all the other stones that would come off of the cornerstone, but also the building would rest on it. So it was the most important stone. And this reference to, to Jesus being the cornerstone goes back to when Jesus said to Peter, on this rock, you will build my church. And so as I begin to think about the cornerstone and I begin to think about the foundation of our lives, as our scripture was written, when Jesus said to Peter, you will be the cornerstone on which you will build my church. And in Acts chapter 2, it's Peter that steps up and preaches and people respond to the gospel. Here we are in Eastertide, celebrating these 50 days from Easter to Pentecost. And that's where we now find ourselves. But friends, we have come off of a year that is really combined in the years of 1918, 1929, and 1968. In 1918 was the last pandemic. 1929 was the Great Depression. And 1968 was a lot of civil unrest in America. And in all those years seemed to come together in 2020. It was a hard, it was a difficult year. We find Peter and John being arrested. And why were they arrested? Because if you go back and you read chapter 3, Peter and, and, and John were going into the temple, and as they went into the temple, there was a beggar there, there was a crippled man, lame. He must not have been able to walk because they carried him into this place, and they carried him out. And Peter healed him. He healed him in the name of Jesus. And, and, and friends, the people of... Uh, in that place, especially the religious leaders, didn't like it because it was messing up their system. They didn't believe in the resurrection, many of them. They believed in Jesus because they actually experienced Jesus, but they didn't believe he was the Messiah. And it was messing up all of their systems, all of their processes. They heal the man, and then Peter and John moved to the Solomon's portico, which was right there at the, at the, at the temple. And if you've ever been to the Holy Land, uh, Nancy and I and some others have been there, and, and it was near the beautiful gate. I remember walking through that gate. This, was a play, this would have been uh, the place where everybody kind of congregated, you know, those centralized places where people, it was the place where the, the, the court of the Gentiles came in and ran off of that. The court of... Um, the court of women ran off of that and all came together. And if, if I get any of this wrong, Dr. Bo Jason Borders will correct it later on. But anyway, it was a place where um, that there were a lot of, the, the money changers were there. And as they were there talking, Peter said to them, you ignorant people, now don't you, aren't you thankful that the bishop and Jay don't get up on Sunday morning and say, you ignorant people, but Peter stood in their midst and said, You are ignorant. You do not know what you have done. You rejected the one who came to build God's church. 
Peter gave them a tongue lashing. Peter kind of gave them a raking over the coals. He scolded them. And by this time, in the midst of all these people, the religious leaders were very upset and had Peter and John arrested. And now we see the scene in chapter 4. And they asked Peter and John, by what name and by what power do you do these kind of things? How did you heal this man? And Peter says, it was by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, and it's in the name of Jesus the Christ. Now, I want you to kind of realize, too, that Peter and John, Peter was a fisherman from Galilee. And this, the, he was standing in front of the Sadducees, who were most, the most wealthy, autocratic people in that part of the world. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They wanted to keep a good relationship with the Roman government. And the Roman government was merciless when it came to disorder. And so as they're kind of creating this crowd and there's almost beginning to be a mob mentality, uh, they're, 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 they're very concerned because if, the, if they don't keep this thing under order, the captain was kind of the right hand of the high priest. The captain's there. The Pharisees are there. Soon the scribes get there. They're the experts in the traditional law. The Pharisees are the fanatics of the law. And then they're the elders that are there. The Sanhedrin come to this scene. The Sanhedrin were, was the supreme court of the Jews. There were 71 of them. And this was not court packing. This was dysfunction with this many people. But the high priest of the Sanhedrin was calling the shots anyway. And they wanted to put an end to what Peter and John were doing. But they knew that if they raised too much of a fuss, here's all these people that have witnessed the healing of this man. And Peter proclaims, it's the cornerstone that we build our faith so I would ask you this question will you kind of revisit your cornerstone of faith tonight as you come to the table in a few moments it's revisiting your cornerstone Peter was standing in the midst of some of the most powerful brilliant people in the whole world at that time and he was a Galilean fisherman who demonstrated great courage. And there's two kinds of courage. There's reckless courage, not really realizing what the ramifications are for just going out and doing things. Friends, we have a lot of that. And then there's cool courage. Cool. Peter and John stood there cool with great courage and boldness because they were standing on the cornerstone. They weren't standing on their own power, but they were standing by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit who I believe is still alive and well. This power of the Holy Spirit brings light to those that live in darkness. 
This Holy Spirit comes and helps people overcome addiction. This Holy Spirit comes and gives us power to walk in times of when we feel like there is no hope. And we have been through a, a year that seems to be hopeless. And I don't know, we're still going to have to deal with it for a while longer. But I believe that God is going to continue to do God's greatest work in the days to come. But the church has got to be the church as we move forward. And we have got to lean in to the cornerstone of our faith as we move forward because there are so many voices that are telling us to do something else. I went back and revisited my cornerstone. I was born into the Methodist Church. In 1970, I was confirmed in the United Methodist Church. I felt my call to ministry on September the 29th of 1979. I was ordained an elder in the United Methodist Church in 1992. I was elected a bishop on July 14, 2016. And someone asked me, what was your best day as a bishop? Probably on July 14, 2016. <laughs> and I've had the privilege to be here since September 1st of that year. I find myself as a United Methodist bishop in the midst of people who call themselves traditionalists. Others call themselves liberal or progressive. I find myself with church people who will not receive a woman pastor or a person of color. I find myself surrounded by much that people that are much wiser, much smarter, much more athletic. I find myself in the midst of great theologians and scholars. I find myself in the midst of great preachers and leaders. And as I read this scripture and study the ministry of Jesus, I believe I find myself right where I need to be. For as you read the life of Jesus, you see that he was right in the middle with Nicodemus and his offer to be born again with a new life. But Nicodemus rejected him. Jesus stood with religious leaders. He stood with the outcast. He stood with a difficult team of disciples with one who would betray him. It was Jesus and the woman called in adultery and all those religious leaders who were ready to stone her until Jesus said, you without sin throw the first stone. It was Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. They should not have been there. Especially him. She's a Samaritan. He's a Jew. It's 12 o'clock in the day. But there they were, and he offered her living water. When you think about coming to the table, perhaps you need to revisit your cornerstone. Perhaps tonight you need to do some rebuilding with your faith. Perhaps you need to tear some things down and begin again. Peter proclaims to us to take courage, for it is time to move on. Take courage, for it is time to move on. He stood there in the midst of a very difficult scene, but he knew that he stood not by himself, but on the foundation of Jesus, the Christ, and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that is with us and calling us to be right in the middle of life with people. The image I have 
of Jesus. The most powerful image is Jesus hanging on the cross. One asked for forgiveness and to remember him. Another mocks him. Many people watch, and he said these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So here we are, friends, in the middle of this life that brings much at us. We have various opinions on many, many things. We stand with people that have different viewpoints and beliefs. But we are called to stand on our cornerstone of Jesus the Christ. Sometimes I hear people ask the question, where is God when I need God the most? And I go back to the cross in the one that asked and the one that mocked. And Jesus dies for the forgiveness of our sins. Where is God in the midst of life? He's right in the middle of it. And there's times when my heart is broken. But I can never imagine the heart of God that looks down on a broken world and loves his people and simply wants to be in relationship with them. So tonight, maybe it's time to revisit the cornerstone of your faith and remember the great hope that is proclaimed in the scripture. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, Amen.